too. I only watched it once and made all of these notes. <laughs> you must have been pausing, Ashley. You had to pause. No, and suffered to get the quote at the end. I'll pause it for that. All right, everybody, oh. we're about to be live and we're live. Okay. Oh, that's me. Hey, y'all. I'm Ashley. Uh, thank you guys for joining us for this episode of Getting My Cheese Back on the Cracker. Again, I'm Ashley Nicole. And I'm Paige Benjamin of Atomic Travels. And this is Getting My Cheese Back on the Cracker. All right. And today we're having a conversation about, um, excuse me, uh, the cheese on the crackers. <laughs> Sorry. Um, today we're having a discussion um, about the movie um, directed by Nate Parker, American Skin. Um, this film presents many glaring truths in the aftermath of fatal shootings, such as African Americans, uh, such as how African-Americans more likely be victims of police shootings, police training, and excessive use of lethal force. And the question as to who reserves the right to be an American citizen. Let's meet our panelists. Uh, Jacqueline. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Jackson. I am founder and executive director of the Royalty Project, which is a cultural enrichment initiative that um, supports, hmm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking. This is gonna be edited, right? Oh no, we live. Yeah. All right, rewind. Um, the Royalty Project is a cultural enrichment initiative and the core focus of the world is the mentor program that promotes positive self-esteem and self-images amongst youth of color. I also was recently appointed to the position of chief operations officer at the New York Urban League. Ooh. Yomi. Hello, I'm Yomi Tagunde, and I uh, am a forensic accountant by day and a love coach by night. I also support Jackie with the Royalty Project. Um, mm -hmm. I am really focused on creating happy, healthy, wealthy Black families. And so that is my North Star uh, that guides me as we are going, um, as I approach life and, and everything that I'm doing here. Awesome. 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 And John? Man, I don't know how you expect me to follow up behind these two black queens out here like that. Sheesh. But um, I'm John Chisholm. I'm the founder and CEO of Coachly Focus, which is a collaborative economy focused on bringing vendors and creatives together under one roof. So happy to be here tonight. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you all. I'm so glad to have y'all here and I'm glad that everybody's tuned in to watch this. Um, last season, a couple of our panelists, both uh, Jackie and Chiz, brought up a quote from James Baldwin, uh, to be black in America is to be a in a constant state of rage. Now, I apologize to anybody watching if I butchered that quote because that's what I do to quotes, but I want to responsibly um, have this discussion and I feel like I just want to go ahead and just make that point that we want to be responsible with this conversation um, and to remind you to be conscious and guarding your peace. We will be talking about some very triggering topics. And we also stay, understand that while this uh, discussion is triggering, we do have to have this discussion to move forward um, and heal as a community, especially as it relates to mental health in the Black community. So with that being said, Let's get started with the conversation. Um, so the first thing I want to, the movie opens up with the, um, the replaying of something we've seen so many times in the last few years, 
um, a situation was escalated unnecessarily and a black kid lost his life. Um, but they also kind of flash back to when um, the student with the, the son KJ was talking to his cousin about how we have a right to this, we have a right to that, we don't have to um, be arrested, we can resist and whatnot. Um, and the, um, the lead character, Link, Lincoln, goes immediately into dad mode. And he's like, don't do that. You come home safe, you know. Um, what role do you think um, rights or the difference in rights and how they're afforded to black citizens versus the way the rest of America gets to be Americans affects mental health in our communities? Well, I know one thing. Um... I actually heard this quote as it was relating to, or this phrase rather, as it was relating to the pandemic and the fact that we're approaching half a million dead. Psychic numbing, right? Whenever something is just so great, we just have to black out from it. Where the more we suffer, the, the less it actually impacts us. And I think that, you know, the brain is a discounting mechanism. As we go through life, it, it starts to protect us. And so like just this idea of going through life, how often are you having to just suppress yourself? How often are you suppressing your emotions? How often are you numbing yourself? And if you're numbing a part of yourself, what part, like are you numb? You, you can't only numb the anger, you end up numbing love, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're keeping out emotions that might not necessarily seem like they serve you, i.e. anger, you also start to keep out love. So we have to figure out how can we transform our anger into something that is actually going to propel us forward. But it definitely has that impact. But, you know, look, they have the studies. We are the only culture that does not, who, who, whose health does not improve with wealth. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because we are constantly under the same fire. We're constantly under the same strain. And I agree 100% with you, Yomi. Um, I believe that we definitely need to be mindful that there is a difference between how our people are treated in this country versus others. Definitely a, a conversation that needs to happen. All of these things manifest in us in different ways. And sometimes we don't have the proper conversations about how they manifest, right? It can affect your, it can affect your mental, it can affect you know, your daily interaction with people because you constantly feel like potentially you're looking over your shoulder. I know um, as a black man, I have an eight-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter. Um, I have conversations with them both. And I'm, and it's funny because the other day, me and my son, we were at the park and we were playing and I got out the car and it was a cop behind us. And he goes, daddy, don't put your hands in your pocket. It's a cop right there. And that was the first time I had ever heard him say anything like that. Wow. So I'm also thinking in my head, like, am I traumatizing him as well to not trust the police unintentionally, right? Because he sees these movies like American Skin. I try not to hide that stuff from him because I know it's an, it's an important conversation, but I try to have that dialogue as well about it because he's getting to that age. What, Tamir Rice was only, what, 12 or 11 or something like that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So our son's five years removed from being Tamir Rice, you know? So it, it it definitely affects our mental. We have to be honest about those conversations. And I think we need to explain it to our children. We need to explain it to our people, how that manifests within our psyche. Um, but then as well, it's, we still gotta be honest. We still gotta have those conversations because if you don't, it can legit be the difference between, like Link said, you know, between you coming home to me at the end of the night 
in between, you know, a police officer taking your life. So um, it's definitely a traumatizing experience. We got to be honest about that conversation. But unfortunately, as long as we're here in America in these current times, it's a necessary conversation as well. So, so I want to, I want to, I want actually, I have a question real quick. Go ahead. So Chiz, so you're, um, I think you may be the only one on this uh, panel that actually has children. And I think it was like kind of crazy how when he heard, when Link heard his son having that discussion about, I have a right to um, question police or to make a citizen's arrest. And how how did your son react seeing that part of the, um, the movie, but also knowing the very real reality that he can't exercise that right. Well, I'll be honest. He sat there. He was like, you better listen to your dad. You better listen to your dad is really what he was saying. But um, I mean, I put myself in Link's position as well, because we try to teach our children to be strong. We try to teach them to be upright, you know, and to know, to know when to bend, but not when to break. And those conversations with police officers, quite honestly, as a black male, we have to, you know, somewhat take a servant type of leadership role when dealing with them. We have to be able to calm them down, which is unfortunate, right? Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's hard explaining it to him, but being that I don't necessarily shy away from conversations like that with him, um, he understands both sides of it. He understands that police officers are good people, but at the same time, you still need to be mindful of your actions and how you interact with them as well. So um, yeah, he was kind of all over the place with it, but it, it, it was definitely funny, you know, but at the same time, informative to see his reaction to, to that situation. Mm -hmm. No, you said something that I think we have to be really, that, that I think is really powerful uh, about leadership. And I think where we, where we have to be able to manage this conversation is from a place of empowerment. Have you laid the groundwork? Have you laid a foundation for your child such that he knows his worth? Have you laid a foundation for your child such that he knows his power, right? Because there's a difference whenever you're having these various interactions and you're in this place of, are you sourcing it from fear? Or are you sourcing it from, I can control this situation? And there's a, there's a different level of power that, that, that occurs in that as you're growing up. When I saw that scene in American Skin, I was immediately clear that this father was sourcing from fear. And in that space, he was not actually empowering his, his son. I'm not saying that what he was telling his son was not valid, but it wasn't empowering. Whenever you tell your son, hey, you actually have to lead from the back on this one. You're letting him know he's still a leader and that somebody else is out of control, that somebody else is lacking, that somebody else is, is intimidated by your power. And that gives you, like, you can approach a situation a little bit differently because you're not sourcing out of fear. So I think that, you know, that, that distinction that you made is incredibly powerful and that's where we need to start. And, and I think um, this actually leads to a follow-up for, for Jacqueline. Um, uh, being the leader of an organization that empowers the youth, um, how do you guys um, help the youth realize that there is duality in being Black in America? And that, um, as Chiz stated, is there are some battles that you have to fight and some that you have to learn to step back and let others fight for you? Mm. Um, it, that question is deeply embedded for me because there are I'm conscious of it 
every time we go enter into a session or a cycle, when we approach a cycle. So for anyone listening that doesn't know, the Royalty Project um, is a mentor program that operates in cycles. It's eight week cycles beginning in the spring and in the fall, so twice a year. And we take the youth on a journey um, of self-expression, self-discovery by learning where they come from, their history, their culture. And we cover topics like melanin, wealth, self-expression, missing histories, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wide range of, of topics that we consider. And often in a couple of cycles, we've considered talking about, and parents have approached us about talking about interaction with the police. Within the first few scenes of the movie, Link's mother says to the reporter that it was great for um, his son to come and live with him because you don't, as a black man, you don't know how to be a man unless you see a man. And it's very important to get those lessons from a black man that's living in it. Um, it's also very important to get certain lessons from parents. And I think the lesson about how to protect yourself when you're confronted with the police, when you're confronted with injustice, when you're confronted with racism, it's best suited to come from the parent. The parent has the, the protection. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a parent. I am a godmother. I am an aunt. I am a, I am a mentor to a lot of people, but I cannot fathom what it's like as a parent to, to let your son or daughter go out into the world and feel like they have enough tools to protect themselves. So from the position, and I, I have to take Yami's standpoint on this in terms of as mentors, as superheroes, as people in their lives that are um, just set here as examples, we have an example and an emphasis on empowerment in the Royalty Project. So we are not a teaching organization. We reveal, release, and reshape. So we're revealing and exposing our youth to all of these things, exposing them to what it means to be racially profiled, exposing them to injustice, to exposing them to inequality in order for them to make their own empowered decisions. So to answer your question from the position of the Royalty Project, we don't necessarily teach what to do in those, those circumstances, but we do empower people with knowledge of self and a desire to keep learning what their rights are. Going back to the original question and just the original topic, um, as I was listening to both my, my brother and my sister in this work, it's, there's right and then there's socially mature and social intelligence. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, like even as simple as um, if I have the right of way as I'm crossing the street as a pedestrian, if I have the walk signal and I have the right of way, I am in the right if I cross the street. But if someone comes out of nowhere and decides to run that light, I'm still in the right, but I could be dead right. Mm -hmm. So there's, so being right and knowing and understanding the law, yeah, it's empowerment to understand it, but we still have our responsibility to ourselves and the people who love us to stay safe. So I understand having that conversation as much as I hate it, as much as I hate that we have to exist this way, we do have a dual existence living in America. 
It's the facts. It's it's unfortunate facts. And all of us here on this on this call um, are fighting in different ways to dismantle those things, those systematic oppressions. But the fact remains is we have to stay alive and we have to stay safe. Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to throw this thing out there. Police are not good people. They are people. They can be good people. And they can be bad people. And they can be bad people. So can white people, so can black people. They can be good people. They can be bad people. They can be a little bit of both. And that that probably is why we're having such a hard time because there are no clear lines. People are both. All people are both. Exactly. I think that's a great point to bring up the quote that was kind of like the game changer in the movie when they were, um, sorry, spoiler spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but they were having like a session and um, the the student was like, nations aren't great because they oppress, but because they liberate, not because they kill, but because they heal. Police and soldiers should be the gatekeepers of that truth and they should protect it with their lives. Um, basically, it was like the decision to um, sacrifice a civilian or the decision to sacrifice a police officer. I think um, that was, to me, like I'm not anti-police, but because I have like family members that are police, but I think a lot of uh, America's issue is that we're placing police in a separate superhuman category that they're not really doing a good job of earning right now like they're protected by our worship but they're just people like us and i think um let me scroll back up in the questions because i forgot where we're supposed to be now yeah i I think i I got the next one so (laughs) um the film painted a picture of link having served two tours and coming back not being able to work right um, uh, whether police or military members of the ser- military services, we find that, that um, some um, of them are unable to find work beyond, let's say, retirement or once their tours are over. Um, this seems to be more of a Black vet issue versus uh, the others. Um, do we feel as though that this is something that um, is based on the demographics of, of these individuals, or do we feel as though that um, veterans in, in general are um, demar, demar, under, what's the word, um, under marginalized? Um, <laughs> I'm probably not using the right word, but do we feel as though that, you know, veterans are not really giving their just due after having served? This um, a quote that I that I always remember is they say when America catches a cold, the black community catches the flu. Yeah. So um, I will say that I think for vets as a whole, it is definitely an issue. I mean, you see it amongst, you know, various different colors because of the trauma that they experience when they're over there. When they come back, it's hard for them to assimilate, you know, back into society. But um, I will say that once again, it's a, it's a full it's an issue amongst all. But we definitely see it a lot more amongst our vets just because it's already hard enough for us on a regular basis you know to find jobs and you know equal employment mm-hmm. but um the way the way that link was treated i mean we see we see it all the time and i think 
some I don't think the army necessarily does a good job with you know training a lot of those vets to be able to go back into civilian jobs. Um, and I say that kind of from a firsthand experience. My father retired lieutenant colonel after 25 years, but he was very you know strategic and intentional about how he transitioned from being an artillery soldier, you know, into the human resources department. So mm -hmm. when he left, he was able to be able to bring some of those skills over. So I right. think it's a conversation on a wider, a wider spectrum, um, but it definitely affects us. And you can see, you can see the effect that it had on Link. I mean, not even necessarily Link either. You can see the effect that it kind of had on Amari Hartwick's um, role in it as well. Um, you know, what, what some level of trauma from being in that war um, you know, gave to them and what they were getting back from our country. We know this country has a great issue with, you know, honoring those vets in that capacity. So um, I hope that answered some of the question there. <laughs> so I worked in Baghdad from 2007 to 2010 alongside the military. I was a military contractor. I was there to make sure that uh, basically that, you know, the, 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 the company i worked for provided services uh, for the military. We were the help, you know. <laughs> so um, in that space, though, I, I, I was able to really get to know a lot of people. I, I communed with a lot of um, military. And one thing that I was really clear on is that the military is a microcosm of America. Uh, you know, when I first got there, they were really, they, they, they warned the women, you know, you're, don't do anything you wouldn't do at home. And they had to keep saying that because you go into this space and you're living on a military base and you're surrounded by the military and you have this false sense of comfort that I'm surrounded by the heroes of the world. But these mm -hmm. young men and women are young men and women. And they have chosen to take on a, a, an, an enormous task. And, and I was nothing but thankful for that in terms of what it's doing for our country and, and for the world at large. But we're still talking about men and women, human beings, people, good and bad exist within both of us. So when they said, don't go walking at night because you might get raped, that might happen to me in America, just like it might happen to me on a military base. And just like it happened to some women in America, just like it happened to some women on that military base. And so, I say that to say it's also a microcosm of America in terms of the jobs that we're getting, in terms of the jobs that our young men are being, that young black men are being encouraged to take on. Some men go into the military and come out engineers. Other men come out knowing how to shoot a gun. Mm -hmm. And so there's a conversation that we have to have about, again, empowering, because you're not going to the military to just escape your life for four years. You're going to the military to gain skills and access. We have to make sure we're instilling that, that you are worthy of becoming an engineer whenever you leave the military. You're not just meant to be an infantryman. Mm -hmm. There's more for you to do. So as you're there, start being strategic like Chiz's father did. Start figuring out where do you go? Make sure you use that GI Bill. These conversations are not happening with our people. Mm -hmm. They're not happening on a widely enough scale because again, we're talking about people, human beings. And the military, the American military is a microcosm of America. And we already know that America is rooted foundationally in racism and, and, and in keeping, keeping certain people at a certain level. And that happens throughout, throughout every career, throughout whatever. And so these are the things that we actually have to challenge. We, have, we, cannot, we can no longer operate as though we, we are just accepting, accepting the narrative. 
We have to right. be really plain about the fact that there's a narrative for them and then there's a narrative for us. And that's just a fact. And we have to take control of that. Okay. Jackie, do you have anything to add? I think they pretty much covered it. There was a, there was a part of it that, um, actually you were starting to go on this journey and the difference between the soldiers that commit to serve in the military and US military and the, the, the police um, and the quote in the in the movie was something like, you know, they 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 are told they protect liberty with their lives mm -hmm. because that's how they're trained. Mm -hmm. But police, as we learned, not even learned, but just reiterated from the movie, are trained to go home. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the training and talking about systematic racism, as both both my colleagues just just referenced. It's in the training. So mil in the military, you are told to protect America. Mm -hmm. and, and as a police officer, you are trained to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing I would add in order not to be redundant. Because <laughs> they pretty much covered a lot. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thank you. So, okay, so here's one of the, the bigger things for me. Um, I guess we're all about the same age. So I think we kind of enter at the, um, dang it, the dude's name just slipped my mind that quick. The one from a different world when they were riding, um, Rodney King. Rodney we all interesting at Rodney King, right? When uh, this, I guess this is like one of the first cases of like, but it was on video. They saw him beating the shit out, dude. So they saw him getting beat up or whatever. So clearly the police are going to get charged and then they weren't. And then mm. now we have social media and that's literally why the, um, the son was killed in this because he was trying to make sure he got it all on film. Um, one of the biggest points of contention is that We've been telling people, we have been telling people, we don't have justice. We don't have justice. We don't have justice. Even with George Floyd, um, it happened. And uh, the thing now we're all in like Corona. So people had to see it. Like you wasn't out in the street. So you saw it on the news. You saw it on social media. You couldn't miss it. Um, but one of the biggest points of contention is even though they see it, they can't look away we're still not getting the justice that we deserve. Um, what steps do you believe um, are kind of causing this? And I know, I know the answer. I have an idea of the answer, but you know, grand jury selection, investigating police officers, indicting police officers. What things do you think um, negatively affect that process? And do you think it would um, put our communities at ease to change the way these uh, situations are investigated and get justice. The biggest thing is you need to figure out how... Oh, go ahead, Jack, go ahead, you got it. Go ahead, John. Okay, all right. So I think one of the biggest things that we need to change is, well, try to change is the laws within that system. That is what is protecting these police officers. Um, one of the main things that I'm an advocate for is getting rid of qualified immunity for police officers. Um, I think that is a very big thing. You have to have something to hold them accountable. We do not have that. 
And the way that the grand juries are set up is usually, you know, a group of white people most times. I mean, unlike when we see in a situation in Kentucky where it was some black jurors on there, but we know that's another rabbit hole to go down. But long story short, um, we have to change the system. One of the things, once again, like I said, qualified immunity, get rid of it. Um, I believe that police officers should have to carry some level of insurance as well. Um, that, you know, when they commit crimes and they do different things, that maybe that insurance rate, you know, skyrockets on them or skyrockets on, you know, that department per se. Hit them in the pension. I bet if we start hitting you in the pockets with your money every time a police officer has a wrongful lawsuit, you know, mm -hmm. somebody is going to start speaking up and say, oh, you messing with you messing with my money right now. So you mm -hmm. got to hit them in the pockets because most times that's the only thing that people realize. Um, you know, we, we, we've done the walk around the block well before, you know, I was born with, you know, protesting and I'm not saying don't stop it, but there has to be so many times we get caught up in protesting, protesting, protesting. We don't ever see, you know, see it all the way out. We don't ever see what the fruits of those labors are. Um, so we got to keep pushing. We got to figure out how to get our community in there as lobbyists. We got to figure out how to be more active in our local elections to put people in office that can hold police officers accountable and not be as scared. Like here in Baltimore, we have a great mayor, Brandon Scott. Shout out to him if he ever sees this. Um, but, you know, these are the type of things that we have to do. It has to start with trying to dismantle the system because um, we talked a little bit earlier about how, um, you know, what kind of makes people do these things. And I think inherently most times police officers are, are sometimes good people, but they get into a system that encourages this type of behavior. I mean, one of the dialogues that we heard in the actual movie was when they was talking about how they were trained. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I won't sit here and act like I'm an expert, but I believe there is a lot of truth to it in regards to, oh, you know, the whole racial profile. I come from New Jersey. We are a police state. Racial profiling is what they do. Um, I've experienced it, I experienced it firsthand, but I think inherently in their mind, they really think that they're doing their job and doing the correct way because that's how they are trained and that's what the system protects. So that's my feelings on it. Thank you. Um, the last part of the question you asked, will it, will it put people at ease? Um, revolution or reform, and thankfully so, doesn't require for people to be at ease. I think there's been so much damage that there are, there's a large portion of the population that's always gonna flinch, that's always gonna feel the trauma, no matter what the um, change that's happening, because one, the change takes time, and the people that have gone through it and experienced it either firsthand or secondhand or just continuously watching it on TV, it's not, not, it's not gonna put them at ease, but that doesn't mean we don't do it. Mm. And I wanna say this, I think that we, we have to start really, and, and I'm gonna say it again, and I know that this is unpopular, you know, we gotta get, get away from deciding if police are good or bad. Again, they are just people, mm -hmm. period. And in that space, one thing, you know, to say in terms of uh, one of the things that needs to change is they need some KPIs, as they call it in <laughs> key performance indicators, as they call it in corporate America, yeah. or the duty to intervene. Mm -hmm. If your team goes out and fails, all of you fail because one fool messed up. So mm -hmm. what do you do? Stop that one from messing up because mm -hmm. you can't, can't say, oh, that was a bad apple. What happens when a bad apple is in, a, in, in, the, in the basket? Oh, that rot the spreads. Apple, the whole basket. The whole basket goes bad. 
So there has to be a duty to intervene. Kick that bad apple out. If, if you really want to be respected from that, you have to kick that bad apple out. And then the other thing for me is we got to get really plain about what America is. There's no changing. There's revolutionizing. Mm -hmm. That's it. We got to start from the bottom up because we can't sit here and try to change minds mm -hmm. because there's too much to lose on their side. I wouldn't want to change if I get to walk around with impunity. I wouldn't want to change if the world has been catered to me. I wouldn't like, well, well, you know, they've got way more What's to lose. Right. So we have to actually stop messing around with changing people's minds. That's not it. We got to revolutionize the entire system. And we do need to start with ourselves. And that's with us getting very plain about the fact that I'm no longer here to make you comfortable. Mm -hmm. We have to get away from that false sense of inefficacy. We matter. You see what happened in Georgia? Mm -hmm. You know, if we don't know that we have power, we will never use it. Mm -hmm. That's how you start to change these systems. We have to actually understand who is sitting, which, which, which one of these, these, these positions are elected. Mm -hmm. And then if, the, and if we have this elected person, who are they going to appoint? And then we have to be able to start to hold them accountable. Who, who is going to be in that jury? Who, how many of you want to be on a jury? Nobody wants to be on a jury. I've sat through jury selections and watched people come up with the best excuses, us. I've watched us come up with the best excuses to not sit in the jury. And then we'll raise our hand and say, well, I have a problem with police. No, we got to start training our people to know how to get selected for the jury. I love police. They're good people. That's what we need to say to make sure we get sat on that jury because we I can't mean, make a change. We can't make sure that jury is representative of us if we're not willing to be there. So we have so, to take certain sacrifices and take certain hits to be part of this because it's not you. It's much bigger. We have to really step up in a way that we get that this is much bigger than myself. That's the only way we can really take some of those hits and be uncomfortable with it. Because like you said, revolution doesn't take you to, doesn't take comfort. Right. And, and I agree with that. One of the things that um, and, and I think the jury part is something that we really need to drive into our community. Right. Um, the biggest issue with jury selection, as you said, is people try to evade it as much as possible. Right. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, the lawyers responsible for that case have a heavy hand in determining who would be fit to serve on a jury. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, finding a parent, uh, so, so based on that alone, you know, we have people that would love to serve on a jury, you know, um, and would love to be able to do that. But due to socioeconomic, socioeconomic challenges, a lot of them can't, you know what I mean? And there's, and although there are laws to protect people again, to protect people's jobs, um, a lot of people don't know the, know mm -hmm. that, right? And I, I think, Part of it is educating our people on how the system can work for us and how we can help improve from within. Uh, like you said, it's, it's, it's a matter of infiltration, right? If we are able to infiltrate all offices throughout the legislative branch, we are able to make a change that can impact the world, right? Look at Stacey Abrams and the impact she's had in Georgia and being able to turn over, um, you know, uh, Georgia to to our side, right? Um, and you know, look at all the little things that we've been able to do over the course of 
four years. Unfortunately, it took four years, but four years to now be the majority um, in Congress. That's a huge feat. And that's something that we can't let stop because we have Kamala and Biden in office, right? I, I think um, to both of your points and as well as Shiz, the revolution doesn't stop here, it continues. And in order for us to continue to um, reach the promised land, so to speak, um, we have to continue to infiltrate. Um, if, um, until every seat is blue, um, we're gonna continue to have these problems and there are gonna be obstacles for us to meet that, that, that goal. But to your point, it's important that we kind of focus on, all right, at the lowest, and I wanna say not necessarily lowest, let's, let's look at city council. From city council determining who gets um, what, what permits, who gets what projects, um, you know, approving redlining of certain communities, right? There's a lot of that that goes into play that, to your points, we really need to focus on starting at the grassroots level. Um, you know, revolution doesn't necessarily have to be um, everybody in the forefront, you know, behind the scenes, you know, politicians, um, you know, you're, we're going to call it your clergy, you know, um, we have to start educating people in the legislative processes at all levels in order to make sure that, you know, we are um, heard and we have a voice. Mm -hmm. And I also think that on the same token, um, that's one of the things that was kind of like coming to the forefront, especially in this summer, as we're dealing with this election cycle, we're dealing with uh, rioting because of um, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, we have to get that type of responsibility to mentally protect our own peace. Mm. We have, we're having um, this beautiful thing where we're becoming aware of our mental health, becoming aware of, hey, I might be feeling kind of heavy because I've just seen somebody um, shot on TV. And it's, it's just a matter of how do we do that work that needs to be done as far as advocating, getting active on the local level, but also do the work to protect my peace, to build my mental, to get um, to a healthy place, to be able to come stand and do that work. Everybody's not supposed to be out there um, protesting. Some people have to make the signs. Some people have to post the event on Facebook and uh, let you know when to meet. Some people have to go get the permit, you know, things like that. So I think, um, there's a lot of work to be done mental health wise, but our community, we got so many things we gotta uh, put on the bulletin board so that we can grow in the black community and kind of get healthy and kind of get kind of healed. Police, uh, politics, mental health, that's a lot there. That wasn't a question. I know it sounded like oh. it had to <laughs> that was I was ready to go. Like, it sounded like a nice sermon. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot to. I said that question mark, and there was no question words. I'm sorry. Oh, oh no, but but do feel free to to chime in on that because um, I think she she touched on a lot. I mean, before I just... we before we completely move to how we all keep saying in in the midst of all of this chaos, I think we threw around a term a little bit without going full circle on what that term really means for us. And we we've, we've talked about legislation and reform and and systematic transformation, but we talked also about revolution. And revolution is violent. Revolution is an explosion. 
And if we're talking revolution and in your earlier question, Ashley, about how do we police ourselves? How do we police our own communities? What mm -hmm. is the action or what is, what is the consequence for a black life? There are things that we need to be talking about and maybe not necessarily on a, on a YouTube live, but there needs to be consequences for taking black lives. And if we're gonna talk about revolution, we need to talk about it all the way from um, the ballot, from, from um, like Yomi was talking about actually serving on a jury, but then actually talking about when action happens to people in my community, what does my community do? We can't wait for things to happen outside of our community. We have to figure out what our course of action is when justice isn't served. Okay, Sister Malcolm. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think, um, one, to, to your point about us necessarily having that conversation on here, that's another thing that we need to figure out within our community is a safe space to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, to talk about, you know, how we come together, you know, to hold each other accountable. And I think the underlying word to us having a successful revolution is the unity aspect. Um, mm -hmm. So we talked about, you know, how can we come together as a people? I think we all got to realize we play a role one way or another, be it if it's a big role or a small role. To be quite honest, you know, role is bigger than the other because if you're doing what you can do within your own, within your own circle, and that's all we can ask for. You know, I think everyone on here in one way or another, well, I know in one way or another, we are all pulling our weight within our individual communities to try to inspire, connect, you know, teach people. You know, the one thing we like to use is unify, inform, and liberate. We're all doing that within our own, you know, capacity. And if we could get everyone just to be on that same wavelength to be like, yo, sis, yo, bro, I'm not your enemy. You know, mm -hmm. you got something to bring to the table. I got something to bring to the table. Let's pull up these chairs and let's figure out how we navigate and how we grow together, right? I think sometimes it's too much competition within within our community where like, yo, I got it. Now you got to figure out how to get it rather than, yo, bro, I hit a ditch on my way over here. Let me tell you a different direction to go so you don't fall through that same ditch. Yeah. We don't do that type of conversation enough which causes all types of different dissensions, you know, between each other. So um, I think with the revolution aspect, we got to find a safe space to have these conversations, but as well, we got to figure out a way for us to, to really unify and realize we all play a role, you know, in elevating our people, so. And we have to not judge amongst ourselves too. I think that's mm -hmm. uh, like, you did say unity and unity is important, but uniformity is not. My way of doing things does not have to be your way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And we even sit around and judge. It's like, you know, in the movie, when, um, when Link's ex-wife was trying to convince him to do things another way, she's like, be peaceful, be peaceful. And he responded by saying, um, we're the only ones that are told to be peaceful. You know what white people do when they're cross? They kill people. Yeah. They don't ask any questions. They react with force. But if one of us does that, then another one of us is judging that action. We are all like judging each other in the way we're doing things. Oh, Black Lives Matter. I don't like the way they're doing things. Oh, the NAACP is not doing enough in the forefront. Oh, the New York, the, the National Urban League and the National Action Network, they're not doing enough on the streets and, and really, really fighting and marching and all that stuff. Like we're judging each other's way of doing things. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where we need to stop. We need to know that we're all doing this in the same goal. And just like in the 60s, there are things that happened in reforming laws and changing things um, on the legal level, but there are also things that happened in the streets and in the field. And both of those sides of the revolution made things possible for some sort of change and some sort of progress. Absolutely. And to that point, I want to talk about like this notion of, you know, where can we have our conversations? Mm -hmm. We need to start having our conversations everywhere. Mm -hmm. Show up as your full self everywhere. Have an uncomfortable conversation in front of your white coworkers. Because everything is fine. Yami's fine. She's a different kind of black person. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) And I need to make sure you know that. If you think that I've misrepresented myself. Mm-hmm. And so now I've got to correct it. And now we're going to have a conversation where I can't let you off the hook. I don't need to have a safe space only for us. I mean, obviously, I, yes, I do need a safe space for us, but that's not the only place I need it. Mm-hmm. I need to make every place safe for me by showing up as a Black woman. Mm-hmm. We have to actually show up as our full selves. Being Black, showing up as yourself is an act of revolution. And censoring every conversation you have. That's only going to hinder the revolution. We have to be able to come up and look, don't be foolish. Now I still got to go to work. I'm not, you know, I'm not. (laughs) 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 But I'm also really clear that there's nothing wrong with me saying I'm black. And that broke my heart. Mm hmm. There's nothing wrong with me saying I'm black and my brain is fucked up today. So I might not have maximum productivity the -hmm. same way when your mother died, you didn't have maximum productivity the Mm -hmm. same way, you know, whatever that there is. Mm -hmm. That's part of that psychic numbing, you know, like we have to just keep numbing ourselves, numbing ourselves. And and then we're dead inside. I'm done doing that. And and so Yomi, to that point, to that point, you know, this is, I mean, you guys are probably part of a, uh, you guys aren't the majority, right? Right. You know, a lot of us are conditioned to fear being our on uh, our truly authentic selves, right? Mm-hmm. Think about it. Um, you know, the Crown Act just got released to the point where we can wear our hairs however we want. So imagine um, how many people had to cut their locks, cut their braids, before going into corporate America, right? Um, We've been, and this is where the mental health side of things come in is, we've been conditioned to believe that being black is not sufficient, Mm -hmm. right? Being black is um, subpar, Mm. right? And we don't meet that clean cut look that is, um, is, is set for corporate America or lack of a better word, white America, right? And so, Mm you know, how do we get our people to a place, right? That I think to Jackie's point, there are certain conversations we can't have in a public forum, right? We need a safe space to um, to kind of nurture that um, almost Yomi essence, right? Because it's not gonna happen overnight. And, and so I think one of the things that we do need to do is have that form and, and this is one of the main reasons why I partnered with Ashley was because these conversations need to happen, 
right? We need to be comfortable talking about anxiety, depression, um, you know, being conditioned to believe we're not good enough. And that's a lot of what's going on. We go into the break room, we feel as though we can't talk about our issues because it's, we're gonna seem as weak, right? And so I think to get to a Yomi point, right? Some of us need to have some baby steps. And I think this is kind of part of that conversation where we have amazing people like you to show that it is possible to get there, right? Um, and um, I, I wanna actually shift on to the next topic unless somebody has something else to say to that one. Good. Let's um, so, shameless plug. Jackie and I are creating corporate revolutionaries. Be on the lookout. We're coming out next year, next month. But <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> get it, get it. See conversation and help you develop strategies and yeah, we're working on it. We're working. Well, on okay, it. But, but you know, but you know what, Yomi, you know, to to that point, Paige, exactly what you said. You know, I don't know about you know the new things you guys got booming over there, but you know. With the royalty project, that's exactly the type of, you know, foundations, you know, organizations, you know, grassroots in the community, getting our hands dirty. That are That's the type of programs we need, you know, that encompasses the type of mentality from our people that we need. Um, so when we talk, when we talk about just, you know, trying to instill power and, you know, faith in our people alone, that is so powerful you know, to be able to tell, you know, a young teenager that, you know, you are beautiful, that, you know, the way that your hair grows naturally out of his head is a good thing, that you can grow up to be anything that you want to be. Because there are still, you know, factions of society that are not allowing, you know, black kids to dream like that. And and, and not and to understand, like you brought up the crown, the, the crown on legislation, you know, where we couldn't wear our hair how we wanted to. Like, that's something that just recently passed. Like, that is major and a lot of people don't understand that and honestly some people within our own culture you know don't understand how they've been manipulated you know wrenched drugged through the dirt and been taught to believe one thing and that is not so um as we continue to have conversations on platforms like this it's important but you know an organization like the royalty project is doing you know that exact work that you're talking about and that's why you know, I'm so happy to be a part of it as well because you know they are doing the work that needs to get done. So they, you know, not, so so they, we we are doing the work. You see, I was tired, Jackie. That day, that so day. so so wait, wait, so Shiz, you you just can I just squeeze hold, one more thing? Hold in on, I, you, we're, we're gonna we're gonna I'm I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna give it to you. So it's like Shiz, I, I I hold on a second. So okay. here's the thing, right? Shiz, you opened the door, and I wasn't gonna put y'all on the spot. So we have. <laughs> four heavily involved mentors on this show five four four it's four people um four heavily, mentors, involved five mentors, heavily involved um in the royalty project um you know we talk about building up to the yomi effect right to the um madam malcolm effect and culturally focused effect right um you know tell us tell us how the royalty project does this and i think since everyone on here has been involved in one shape or form, um, I would love you all to kind of give your insight as to how you feel as though that this, and Jackie, you go last, right? Um, I wanna go first. I got something to pray to start it okay. with. Okay, okay, so so um, the, the, the question is, how do you feel um, in your perspective, the Royalty Project is preparing the youth to be so empowered that they can be like 
um, Jackie, Chiz, Yomi, and Ashley. Hey, it's Ashley Nicole. I appreciate y'all for listening, and hopefully you're all getting your, keeping your cheeses on your crackers. I'm dropping in on this episode to give you some goodies. Have you been wanting to get into the podcast game and don't know where to start? I got you. I have answers. If you haven't already heard about Anchor by Spotify, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor has everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Let me say it again um, in case you missed it. Everything that you need to make a podcast is conveniently in one place. And best of all, Anchor is free. Free 99, zero dollars, zero cents. So go ahead and download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started now. I can't wait to listen to your podcast too. Um, when we started the Royalty Project, we used to call it a mentor program. And the reason why I often fumble with my words is because we went back and really totally understood what we're doing. And it's a cultural enrichment initiative. Not because um, the core is not the, the core is the mentor program, but in order to get to mentoring, a group of like-minded individuals need to come together to partner, to really understand the needs of our community, what we didn't get when we were younger, and then iron sharpens iron. So the mentors create this community of amazing people that are community focused, um, community focused and driven on making sure we are the mentors that we didn't have or that we know we would want to see at that age. So I think it's it's even though it is the our core function is empowering youth, before we even get to empowering youth, we make sure we enrich each other. Okay. I want to go next. So, <laughs> so this was my first year as a royalty project uh, mentor slash mentee because I grew as much as those children did. Um, I think that <laughs> one of the major things, aside from needing a Yummy and Jackie masterclass, is that um, in the the units when um, we were looking at like stereotypes and basically addressing the fact that everything black is looked at negatively, um, the the chat was lighting up because the students were like don't say that that's beautiful you beautiful like they but from the beginning of it like some of them like the what the students that um that talk a lot they were talking but by the end like even the people who wouldn't even cut their, the kids who wouldn't cut their cameras on was like lighting up the chat cheering on whatever the image was that we were looking at or cheering on whoever turn it was to get praise and it's like just that quick and just what, what was it like two hours in just two hours we literally changed the the way those kids looked at beauty the way those kids looked at wealth the way those kids looked at all those different aspects and even me growing up like I'm sitting there like, oh my goodness, I am great. Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> yes, you are. 
So y'all need to sign your kids up for the royalty project uh spring cycle. I put the link in the video. I'm just saying. <laughs> Spring cycle begins April 21st. It is a seven week or eight week long cycle. Just so you know, go to the royaltyproject.org for all the information. Y'all better get with it too when y'all hear this. But um, I think Paige, to your point, I mean, I think, you know, Marcus Garvey summed up the quote perfectly when you say, you know, a people without the knowledge of their past history, you know, origin and culture is like a tree without roots, right? Mm -hmm. So how can we expect for our children and for our culture to grow to its full potential when we lack some of the very basic things, which is self-knowledge? Yeah. Right? We depend too much on the school systems to do that for us. We depend too much on, you know, outside influences to tell our children who they who they are. You know, if it's from, you know, the, the toxic rap culture that we enjoy sometimes, you know, from what media puts on TV about who black people are, what Hollywood puts out. We don't ever sometimes get to the essence of, you know, where you came from. A lot of times, some of these kids, they learn their history starting off, especially in America from a slavery perspective, as, as you being, you know, a servant, that's what you evolved from. And that alone <laughs> can train your mind to go down the wrong path automatically. So um, it's important to show like this is, you know, the 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 loins of what you came from, from people like Mhotep, from people like, you know, Dr. Kwame and Kruma, you know, from Nelson Mandela, that type of strength. And we could go on and on back to, you know, Nefertiti and all those different things, right? Yes. But the point, the point is, is that we have to provide that generation that's coming up with strong positive examples of who they can be, where they come from, how they can tap, tap into that culture that spirituality and just that natural, you know, self, self, um, you know, acknowledgement of who I am and what I can be. Um, so yeah. that's what I appreciate about the Royalty Project is that all those things that I just said, they're doing that and so, so, so much more, you know, for the children that get involved within the program. Mm -hmm. And for that's me- coming I up in April, so don't forget to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> So I was actually introduced to the Royalty Project at one of their adult events. So to Jackie's point, we, we nurture each other. And I was, and I was there as a speaker um, a, a, on a Black love panel. And as I said before, my North Star is happy, healthy, wealthy Black family. And I had always focused that on telling the truth about Blackness and Black love. You know, there's so many negative, negative imagery and, and comments and narrative around what Black love is mm -hmm. that, that, that's my, that has been my mission to combat that, you know, to say, hey, you know what, 87% of Black men are married to Black women, you know, because, you know, if, if you didn't know that, you would think that all the Black men are in jail or want white women or blah, 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 you know, no. We are actually here for each other. They tell you, oh, 51% of uh, black women have never been married. All right, well, 50% of black men have never been married. Guess what? We're still here for each other. We can find each other. So like for me, I've always been really committed to dispelling those that, that the narrative around black love in adults. And then whenever I saw what the Royalty Project was about for children, I was chasing Jackie around that event. I was like, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, I want you to know, hey, I, I want to work with you. I'm I got home, sent her an email. I got, you know, and then like, I mean, it, it actually has taken me a minute to get comfortable being around her because I was like, oh my God, this woman, you know, I mean, I, to start something 
from 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 children. We can start with the kids and get the truth to the children. You know, like that was where I was with it. And so, you know, just that alone, like how much easier would it be working with adults if you got the adults when they were kids? Right. And let them know early on that they are worth so much, that they are worth all the love. And that right there was what just lit me up. And then being a part of that mentor program and seeing, one, the community that she has created with all of the different mentors you know, the way we vibe off of each other and vibe off of each other for the greatness of the children. Mm -hmm. Like we don't even necessarily know one another that, I mean, I'm new, I'm new. So it's like, I I, I didn't even grow in based on like learning you as an adult individual. I learned your love for the kids. That's how I started to fall in love with you as an adult. And so like, just to see that community that has been there that is so dedicated to providing uh, an, an, an integrous, experience an experience filled with integrity <laughs> for the kids you know that right there was the thing that just really struck me and then when you see the way the children receive it yeah and you know i i joined whenever during covid therefore you know it was a virtual session and one of the things that would just always just warm me up was how the children would call say i'm around people i love mm-hmm. i you know the royalty project is a place I, you know, those were the things like, that's how strong it was that we, we, our love went into the ether, you know, and Mm -hmm. and actually like connected us that way. So for me, I just, I love what it is, what it's about, you know, the fact that we are here empowering our youth from day one, you know, letting them know that they're amazing from day one and revealing the truth of who they are from, from the, from, from, from childhood. And not empowering them based on our titles, based on our, our personal achievements, based on our accomplishments. I don't think we ever really revealed to each other no. what our job titles are, no. what awards we've won, what accolades we have. Right. We come in as Jackie, Yami, John, Ashley, and we come pro- professing and protecting what it is to be black and boasting about the richness of our culture. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the amazing part about the program, right? The reason I wanted to make sure you guys talk about that is you guys talked about one big thing to lead to the revolutionary, right? You guys are breaking the cycle of the school to prison pipeline, right? Yeah. Even if it's 20 kids at a time, think about it, right? They've conditioned the school systems to be a pipeline to, to support these, these programs. And by empowering these youth, by teaching them their, by teaching them wealth, their melanin, their culture, you know, and, and so much more. And then showing them that there are others that are doing it just like them. Like, you know, it, it, it's, it's huge because one thing that they don't see, I think to Chiz's point, is that all they see is the negative on TV all day. And so if you can, for two hours, change that narrative, it changes lives over time. You know what I mean? And so I I really wanted to kind of push that. And, you know, from the outside looking in, I think the camaraderie amongst you all to come together to make this work for the youth, I, I think that's what is going to build to the Yomi moment, to the Jackie moment, to the Chiz moment, to the Ashley moment, to the point where you guys are empowering. You guys don't realize that you are 
providing each other with a sense of wellness that a lot of people are missing, right? Um, there's there's that group that group cooperation builds group think. The group think so long as that thinking process is for mm-hmm. the betterment of the people, it's strengthening everyone. Mm-hmm. You know what and I mean? It's healing. And, it and it's healing. And it's healing. Let me tell you. You know what I mean? I just have to say this. Like going through the pandemic and being involved in the royalty project, I looked forward to Saturdays. I mean, and I would get off, I I would hang up from 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 working with those with with the royal youth skipping around the house. I'd call, like, let me tell you what Mary said today. You know, like (laughs) the kids were so, you know, inspiring. And it really was healing to my heart. To be mm-hmm. able to be involved and watch watch the joy that these children had, and to watch us come together in such a strong and powerful way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. And so yeah. the reason I, I brought that up, um, and you know, we're going to go back to the regularly scheduled program, is the revolution. <laughs> the revolution starts with the children, mm-hmm. right? Um, and empowering these youth to be the revolutionaries that you guys are um, is key. So I'm gonna go back to the, the list of questions that we have. Okay. So in the movie, um, distraught mother is grieving. Um, and um, I believe the verdict was out that the police officers were not indicted for the killing of this young man. Yep. The police chief goes to the grieving mother's house to tell the rioters or to, to send out his peaceful speech to, um, uh, pacify the rioters so that they don't continue to do it. Now, there's a difference between revolutionary action and rioting, right? Yep. Rioting for the sake Agreed. of rioting's sake does not contribute towards the revolution or contribute towards change. What are your thoughts on the fact that we are expected to be the ones to pacify our own people or to quiet our own peoples in their state of being Black and outraged in America? I have to just push back on this one thing. Mm. America's independence was founded on rioting. What do you <laughs> think was happening in that Boston Tea Party when they were tearing up somebody else's tea and throwing, that's called looting, all right? The, 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 you know, when, when we look across the sea and we're saying, oh, there is, you know, America is helping a, a democratic swell. What do you think is actually happening with those people? They're not standing around with a picket sign. It's revolution and it's violent. And sometimes it looks like a riot. And sometimes mm-hmm. you have to make noise before people listen to you. I know this summer when George Floyd was murdered, I had my, my, my team meeting. Nobody said anything, even though we all know about that eight minutes. It wasn't until we had a week of burning that the email was sent out. Mm-hmm. So. I'm not. Uh, I, I don't often wonder I, if the outrage was for the incident or the aftermath of the incident, Yami. I'm thank. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. I, I think often wonder if the calls from my friends who happen to be white yes. came because of the eight the eight minutes, or it came because of the effect that happened in a lot of cities across the U.S. afterwards. Well, I'm really clear. I didn't get a call on May 31st. I got the call on June 7th. Mm. Well, there you go. There you go. So I, I do believe that rioting, just like donating money, just like peacefully protesting, just like mentoring the children, has its role in the revolution. Mm-hmm. So, so my question really is, why is it that we're the ones 
to, um, and, and I think Jackie brought this up earlier, right? Um, when in a state of a riot, and once again, a riot versus a protest is different based on melanin, as we can see what happened at the state capitol, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so um, that's, we can, we can talk about that once we're done with the topics. Um, okay. But it, it, in the movie, the police chief reached out to the grieving mother to be the one to ask for peace. Why is it that we're the ones that always have to be the, I don't want to say bearer of bad news, but the bearer of please stop rioting or please stop treating such and such such a way. Why, why is it that we have to be the ones to say this and it can't be said by someone else? I don't, go ahead, Yami, you got it, go ahead. I, I, it doesn't actually have to come from us. This is a, um, an ingrained way of being. We don't actually need to send a black rep because we're, we're, we are on the end of a one-sided agreement where we are supposed to forgive. Mm-hmm. And, and that is just what it is. We forgive to survive. Mm-hmm. We forgive for our mental, we forgive to not have to carry it. And, 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 and it doesn't have to be a black person that might make the message easier. But I mean, we saw what happened when uh, in Dallas, when the judge came down off the bench to hug this murderer. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever that young boy in Brooklyn was accused of grabbing some white lady's ass when in fact his backpack just touched her, mm-hmm. that child hadn't learned the script yet. And they said to him, you know, do you forget her? He said, no, I don't forgive her. That woman needs some help. And everybody's like, oh, 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 you know, we don't actually even, we don't have to be the ones. It is part of, it is part of the script. It is part of the, the, the foundation of America that this yeah. is what we do. It's a one-sided agreement and we've all signed up for it. Mm-hmm. We got to break that agreement. They come to us for it because it's psychological warfare. Mm. Yep. If it came from the mayor, if it came from, or let's, in the cases where these people are white, if it came from a white person, if it came from the police, you have to calm down, you have to go home, you have to de-escalate. If it came from them, it's not gonna be effective. Mm. So they come to us for it because if, if the mother can forgive and the mother can issue a, a plea for you to go home, then why am I rioting? Why am I marching? Why am I yelling? Why am I outraged? If the mother can forgive, then I can forgive too. It's psychological warfare. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I mean, but to agree with you, Yami, it's, we don't have to. She felt pressure when the police, in the movie, she felt pressure when the police chief came to her and said, can you please plead to your people? Um, and even watching that scene as the nephew is yelling at the police and outrage, how dare you come talk to my auntie, get out of my house, y'all kill my cousin, y'all kill my cousin. I don't know about y'all, but I was striped by my own response because I felt like consoling him. Mm-hmm. Young man, that's not the way you do it. But honestly, I, it's not up to me to judge his, if something happens to me, if I'm struck, if I am offended, it, it is not up to the person who offended me to tell me how I get to react. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's oppression and that's systematic control. Absolutely. And especially because I'm black, I'm I'm expected now to go peacefully. 
Mm-hmm. And if I don't, I'm going to, somebody's going to tell my sister, my cousin, my nephew, my whoever to appeal to me to be peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I think a part of the erasing the judgment and erasing this, this um, separation is not judging the victim by what the victim decided to do, how the victim decided to react. It's fine for her to go and tell people to go home. It's fine for James Brown to perform after Martin Luther King died because we want everybody to just feel good after something horrible happens. It's fine for these things to happen, but it's also fine for the reaction to be violent. It's also fine for the reaction to be vehement and visceral and and real and in anger. Yes. Both of those are fine. Right. And and you know, I and just I think even to think about it in this moment, what you said, it was the young man who had the reaction. And again, he hadn't been trained. He was still too young to have been trained. Just like that young boy in Brooklyn was too young to have been trained. You know, we're told what, what is right and how we were supposed to behave. And, and these were the people who hadn't gotten the script yet. It's not even that. The further we get removed from slavery and Jim Crow and segregation and all these things, the more generations start feeling like it's their right to be free. It's their right for justice. We feel like we have to ask for it. We feel like we have almost sometimes like we don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. They feel like the younger, the younger ones feel like it's, it's, I'm, I'm supposed, it's supposed to happen. Yes. We feel like we have to ask for it. They feel entitled to it. Yes. And yes, I love it. I and, think Shiz had a, I think she's had a point. Oh, Shiz, jump on in. Jump on in, King. Hey, you, hey, you man. gotta jump in. You got two strong jump queens in, with King. you, brother. Hey, you got hey, a hot scotch up in here, man. Hey, look, man, I've learned to respect where, where I come from, and I come from a black queen as well, so they got the floor. <laughs> But um, not nah, it's not too much I could really add because I think Yami and Jacqueline, you guys hit it all, you know, the nail right on the head to be quite honest with you. The thing that I really just wanted to bring up was we really got to talk about the essence and how that trauma is passed down years over years over years, you know, through our DNA to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Um, that we were never brought to this country to enjoy and the liberties and the freedoms of what America is. And that still plays out every day in these same exact situations because what do we see from history when on the plantation when people were whipped and when people were chained you know and foots was cut off for you know trying to run and be a revolutionary was that oh we're sorry we shouldn't have done that you know what i mean we were kind of you know um somewhat bred quite honestly to be docile and to be apologetic and to be oh you know we didn't mean to do that or or you know by, by, by somehow of being, you know, um, apologetic that, you know, harm won't come to us and that we'll be okay. So these are things that were engraved in our ancestors, you know, that some of them fought back and some of them just did the best they could to exactly what I think it was either Jackie or Yami said was, you know, was to survive, you know, and that's the instinct that's kicking in. It's, it's traumatic. It's a very, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very traumatic experience that we go through in this country. So you're talking about a black, a black mother, you know, and we know that black women, you know, are our strongest pillars in our communities, you know? Um, So when she can come to the stage and she can say, Hey, forgive that hits home to Mm -hmm. us because we understand what type of power, what type of strengths it it takes to, to forgive someone that took your son 
or to kill, you know, unnecessarily. So right. it appeals to a lot of people. But Jackie, I'm with you 100% when you said, you know, it's not our place, you know, to judge. Um, me personally, I'm more on, you know, the Amari Hardwick side with it. If you kill my son or my nephew, like, I don't know how I'm going to react. I, I, I think I'm on the eye for an eye. Um, right. But, um, you know, it's not our place to judge. There's nothing wrong with, you know, saying, you know, based off of a, you know, a religion conviction that, you know, I forgive and I'm going to turn the other cheek. But it's nothing wrong with getting your Nat Turner on or your Denmark VC on at the same time, you know, and taking out a couple of folks as well. So I'm with y'all 100%. But Jackie and Yami, you guys, you know, did an outstanding job on hitting on the topics, you know, for that. Definitely. Ooh, that was that was hot. <laughs> That's what you wanted. Okay, we, go. we got yeah. the right people. Are you not right people that I wanted to <laughs> Isabel so. Wilkerson in her book Cast, which I believe everybody should read this book. She she said black forgiveness of the dominant caste, i.e., white folks, sin has become a spiritual form of having to be twice as good in trauma as mm -hmm. in other aspects of life to be seen half as worthy. White people embrace narratives about forgiveness so they can pretend the world is a fairer place than it actually is. And that racism is merely a vestige of a painful past instead of this indelible part of our present. Mm -hmm. That was clear in the attitudes of the police in the movie. Mm -hmm. Clear. He was like, slavery, we still talking about that? Mm. That was so long ago. Yo, and that, that is clear. And, and I don't want to go to left. I don't want to go left field here, but that conversation is so crazy to me. And as we celebrate Black History Month, you know, um, I, I'm I was reminded this month that Ruby Bridges is only 62 years old, I believe. Mm -hmm. Like, so when white when people say when white people say, you know, oh, that was so long ago, it's like, nah, she's still living. <laughs> you know, we just say she's your she's mother, <laughs> right? Like, so you got to understand that. That stuff didn't just go away. You know, slavery didn't just vanish. That making money off of black people's back didn't vanish. It turned into, you know, Angola State Prison. You know what I mean? It turned into, you know, a form of mass incarceration. Like mm -hmm. these things, those, those, their, their, their roots, you know, it may not necessarily be, you know, as outright and as egregious as slavery was, but it's still mm -hmm. here and it still rears its ugly head on a consistent basis. And some people may say is 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 way more, you know, um, you know, worse than what what it was back then. But long story short, those things still exist. Those systems still exist, and we still suffer from them to this very day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and I think and so. I, I, I'll, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so I think that's a you bring up a great point um, when we're talking about those systems and the things that's in place um, in the movie. Like so the big part of what happened was this unofficial trial. And when the um, the officer was saying, this is how we're trained, this is what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. yada, yada, we're pro basically profiling the bad guys. We're doing everything we can to catch the bad guys before something happens. Um, all of that along with, um, it's Black History Month, so you know we got to talk about COINTELPRO and yeah. uh, militariz militarization of police, um, things of that nature, even as simple as our communities being policed by people who aren't connected to the community. Mm -hmm. All of these things are literally legalized attacks on the Black community. Um, how can we 
begin to recommend those policy updates or begin to um, kind of combat like quote unquote, I don't want, I hope this video don't, I hope they don't take our YouTube channel. Um, America's attacking black communities. How can, yeah. how can we speak to that? Because every time there's something good, here comes COINTELPRO, here comes police offices with, I mean, police departments with tanks and bulletproof vests and things of that nature for nonviolent protests. How can, how can we combat against that and maintain our mental stability, I guess. You know what? That's the question. That. <laughs> That's the question, Ashley. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, and, and it's a hard one, right? Because it's something that I'm very aware of. And when we talk about, I hear a lot of people nowadays, you know, even myself, we say like, where are the real black leaders? You know, as far as like the ones that are, that are you know, akin to your MLKs, your Malcolm X your Nat Turners, your Megger Evers, you know, your Fred Hamptons, those type of people. Where are those leaders that are in, my, in our community? And I really sat back and I thought about it. Between the 60s and the 70s, all of those leaders were exterminated. All you know of them. I mean? Each all one you were, mentioned. Each yeah. one you mentioned, John. Exterminated. So when you do that, it creates a fear within the people that says, even if I stand up, even if I speak out, you know, to these injustices that if I take it to a certain level, I'm going to be cut down. I'm going to be killed. Um, so it definitely takes some understanding. And quite frankly, it's going to take a lot of, you know, for I don't want to say the word I want to say. So I'm going to say it's going to take a lot of oomph, a lot of moxie, you know, for our community to be willing to say, like, <laughs> I'm going to step up. I'm going to do what I got to do. And if they take my life, I'm going to take it. But then, like, how many people are really willing you know, to lay their lives on the line for the revolution, for the revolution that we talk so vehemently about, right? Like that's bloodshed. Are you really willing, you know, to die for that? And to be quite honest with you, that's what I think the answer is to the question is you got to be willing to die for this. You got to be willing to step up and say that I'm going to speak my truth no matter what. And if you come for me, you come for me. And that's what it's going to end up having to be because I mean, it's so, it's, it's funny that we were having this exact conversation because on Friday, you know, we get the Black Messiah, you know, with, um, I forget who's the gentleman, who is it, Daniel Lulua? I probably said his name wrong, but mm -hmm. he's playing Fred Hampton, Fred Hampton. in that movie, mm -hmm. you know? And Fred Hampton was that revolutionary. Fred Hampton was that person that COINTELPRO, you know, with the Black Panther Party was afraid of creating. So all this stuff is systematic, but they're going to, they are afraid of us. They are afraid of our power as Yami, you know, articulated so many times in different ways that we got to realize that we have that power. And once we yield it, some people might be taken out because of, because they are going to be afraid. And to Jackie's point, that's what a revolution is sometimes. A revolution, you know, takes bloodshed. A revolution, you know, takes sacrifice. So we got to ask ourselves as a people, is, is, are we really ready for that? And, and I think the movie showed us at least a character depiction of somebody who is ready, who had, who had the motivation and is ready to do that. And I, it, it, was, it was a movie, but it was, it was the sacrifice, right? It was the, the big sacrifice. It was, I'm gonna go through great lengths and, I, and I'm probably gonna die because of this. But my life is already taken from me because my son was taken from me. 
So now all I have to live for is to make sure anything I do from now on, it can prevent, even if it prevents at least one father, one mother from crying because one police officer decided to think twice before pulling the trigger, it's that sacrifice that needs to be made. Along with people who are working hard on police reform. And I'll say this, I think one major thing that needs to shift and a thing that will also help us to protect our mental health is to just actually acknowledge that we are at war. And once we accept that, you start to get tools for it. Because right now we keep moving through this like la-di-da-di-da, I'm just gonna try to live and hope I don't die. Nothing's happening. We have opportunities. We have chances. We don't, we're not in the same situation our forefathers were. We're in a better <laughs> position. Everything's quiet great. when the police come. It doesn't exist. Lynching is not happening. We're not dying. These things are not happening. But all of those things are happening. We're being lynched whenever you're getting murdered by the police. We're there missing out on opportunities whenever we go to work. Where mm -hmm. all of these things are actually still happening. And as long yeah. as we pretend that we are not at war, we are always going to be blindsided. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we talk about developing tools, it doesn't have to be, okay, I'm gonna, I'm out there in war, you rush out and get shot. No, <laughs> now that we know that we're at war, you build a bunker, you get an army, yeah. you get some guns or education, mm -hmm. all right? You, you get some cannons or become a judge. Mm -hmm. You know, so we actually have to acknowledge that we are at war and that we are being attacked. Mm -hmm. Right there, as soon as you acknowledge that you have you ever been angry, 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 and then you're just crying? And mm -hmm. then as soon as you say, I'm angry, it's like a pressure ball, that mm -hmm. right? So like, instead of pretending that we're not under attack, just be like, yo, I'm under attack. As soon as we acknowledge the truth of it, it stops being so stressful. Because as long as we keep running out there pretending we're not under attack, we know that we might get shot. Yeah. So if I acknowledge that I am under attack, I'll go ahead and smile. I'll lead from the back. I told my brother for all of his uh, um, driver's license, smile in there, show all your teeth. So whenever they get this picture, they at least see a happy black man because they want to just they want to dehumanize you. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as they see you looking like a criminal in your driver's license, they're ready to make you a criminal. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, smile in these pictures, get strategic, send a spy over. All right. Have somebody, you know, like be at war and be smarter than your enemy. And that's where I think we need to start to, that's how we preserve our mental health by acknowledging the facts as they are and then working within them. Mm -hmm. Acknowledgement is key. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Wow. So, so this leads me to kind of not necessarily the final question, but a good point in the movie, right? So trial is over. Um, the jury, um, which wasn't a, a jury built of their peers, right? The police officers on juror, on trial. And the first thing they says, well, this is not a jury of my peers. And- They went in an uproar when they chose the young black man to get on that jury. An uproar. Exactly. They were like, he's not my peer or he's biased. They said he's biased because he was exactly. a young black man similar to the person who was murdered. Right. So not understanding that that black man was torn, right? Torn yeah. in making the decision 
to possibly taking this man's life. Um, the part I really want to focus on is kind of something that the mom did, right? The mom came out and said her piece on, hey, I'm, I'm over it. Um, not over it, but, you know, I forgive them. And the jury comes back and finds the police officer guilty, yeah. right? The very tense moment in the movie and Link decides to temper mercy with justice, temper justice with mercy mm -hmm. by not killing the man, but showing them how we feel on the other side of that gun. I think that was a very powerful part of that scene to show that revolution doesn't necessarily always have to end in turmoil or death, but in the fact that do you see what you're feeling right now? Do you, do you feel the sense of the pressure of the weight of the world on your shoulders and not knowing what's going to happen next? Mm -hmm. That's how we feel mm -hmm. every single day of our mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you guys thought about that particular portion of that particular scene and what you thought would have happened or should have happened. That took the film from a good film for me to an excellent film in terms of education mm -hmm. on one, how merciful we are as a people. Black people are very forgiving. And two, really, I just wanted you to feel and your wife to feel and your child to feel what my family feel felt that day and what a lot of black families feel regularly. His wife was frantic that he might not come home. He was sobbing, and but but still understanding that he put himself in that position. So you still can't totally feel what I feel because I'm a victim in this. But he, for a brief moment, he felt like death was imminent. Mm -hmm. And that's what it took for him to change his opinion on Link as a father, as a black man, as a person and what he was trying to do. I thought it was excellent writing. And I'm so happy that the, the actors were so good so that we can focus on the points of the movie rather than depict what, what, what else was going on. Everyone's emotion was so real and so raw and so like, to me, what I would have felt if I was any one of those characters in any of one of those kind of circumstances. I thought it was an excellent turning point for the film and I'm glad, I'm actually glad that they didn't. As much as I am an advocate for an eye for an eye, um, and I, I'll, I'll put that on the public record. But I thought it was great for a film for that to be the message. And for me, it was about humanizing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think this is also like, you know, to I'm going to keep saying it, right? When you show up as yourself, he showed up as himself, a Black man who was deeply hurt, yeah, he lost his son and he is hurt and pissed and angry and all of the things a human being should be mm -hmm. when their son has been unjustly, unjustly ripped away from him. Mm -hmm. And that's what he showed up as. 
He didn't come and in just there because, because he, he was trying to afford his son the same opportunities that white families had. Absolutely. In the beginning of the movie, they talked about him moving to the white school and he's the only black person in that school. Yeah. And he said, what was what what was your day like at school? And he said, there weren't any fights. That was monumental to him that there weren't any fights in his school. And they were and listening to rap music. They were listening to rap music and they were teaching them about their rights as an American citizen. You know, it's so... I, I felt like uh, that moment was about humanizing. Because yeah. I don't think that we are seen as full human beings. And that's where I say we need to get responsible for that. Yeah. And we need to show up as full human beings all the time because it's too easy to dehumanize us. That's the Absolutely. actual record of America. We are not humans. You know, when, when this I country started, they didn't even put our names down. We were never part of the census. When they were, we weren't even a full person. Yeah. Yeah. Things just happened in, in our parents' lifetimes. Yeah. Ruby Bridges, like you said, is our mother's age. We are not human. That was demonstrated by the lack of protection that was brought to the Capitol, despite the fact that it was all over on, online, that they these people showed up with shirts that said Civil War, January, whatever. <laughs> like they knew what they were coming there to do. Got in the Capitol. Okay. Into the Capitol. Because they are human. We stand outside and protest peacefully and we get destroyed because we are not. Not even on the steps. We're not even on the steps. Okay. They made sure of that. They had everybody lined up to keep us away. They had a planned riot. Actually, no, they had a planned war. They called it a civil war. (laughs) And they were able to get all the way through. <laughs> with nobody it's not funny stop. but it's it's crazy it's, it's so it is it, it's so ridiculous you have to laugh to keep from crying and look and we look, are I've not been, human absolutely and i've been down there so to see all that i've been down there multiple times you can see it all over you know my culturally focused instagram that you know we've been down there protesting you know with you know the the black lives matter movement um multiple times and when we were down there, it was everything was cut off, snowplow trucks, police officers everywhere. So I'm like, for for you to allow this to happen, it was very, very intentional. Oh, yeah. um, but I just want to circle. It back wasn't to intentional. Point. It was yeah. them not seeing themselves and only seeing us as less than human. That or is threat. That is their I'm, yeah, threat. I'm saying I'm saying that it was, it was intentional on their behalf not to protect the capital yeah. in the capacity that it needed to be. Um, but Paige, the, cir- the circle back to your question, I, I just want to agree with Jackie and Yami on that, that um, that last scene was definitely about humanizing us as a people. Um, and I was kind of, I know a lot of it's controversial how it ended, but I think it was good that it ended that way because so many times we are still portrayed as being, you know, not able to necessarily, you know, not to be portrayed as savages. Let me say that, right? And yeah. I think that if he would have, kill him at the end of that movie, you know, the perception, you know, not necessarily within our culture, but within other cultures who this movie was supposed to be used as a learning tool would have saw him at the end as, oh, he's just what we think they are. They're savages. They're, you know, they're barbaric, this and that, knowing that we aren't really the true savages and barbarians. That's a conversation for another day too. Um, but um, I was glad to see it in that way because once again, like Jackie and Yami, you know, said, it humanized us. And I think that's what his whole 
idea of, you know, putting this movie together was one, to allow people to see the, the, the different perspectives between, you know, regular society and police officers, but to mm-hmm. also see that at, that at the end of the day, you know, there is a group of people, us, the black community, that are hurting behind these crimes, right? And that you need to see us as the true people we are. So putting him on all fours, putting that gun to his forehead, you know, making him call his family, making him have that, you know, that 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 pit of the gut feeling like, damn, yeah. I'm about to go right now. Yep. It was it was important for that to be visualized on a TV screen for people to see that I am a man just like you are. My yeah. son is a child just like your, your son, son is. is. Mm-hmm. That same person that you hear saying, Daddy, I love you, Daddy, where you at? I had that as well. Oh, you took that from me. So realize that I am a human just like you are. Just like you wanted to go home at the end of the night after that altercation, I wanted my son to come home at the end of the day. You have a child to go home to. I no longer do. And, you know, the pull of that trigger, you know, really made that officer realize it. And I think movies can play a very powerful role in our society. And we see and we see that time and time again. And I hope that, you know, this this causes the conversations that we have that not only happen within our community, but within those, you know, that were represented, you know, with, that were represented within a movie between the Latino community and the white community and mm. within, you know, that police community as well, that blue, quote unquote, blue community, you know, to be able to see that um, there is a problem here. We need to do something about it and we need to hold one another accountable. Um, so. Speaking of the Latin community, remember that exchange that happened between one of the inmates and the yeah. police officer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, fact and, that they and, didn't show subtitles on the when when the um when the inmate was speaking in Spanish, just so we knew he knew Spanish. Like you, mm-hmm. you are you are a Spanish officer, you are Hispanic, you are Latino male, and yeah. you are judging me and judging black people and judging people and you are within the community just like the white cop was saying we can't be racist we have a black lieutenant Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) like your associations make you less racist but the point that was made by another inmate he said that's like saying i'm married so i can't be sexist Mm. Just because of your associations, they your associations don't determine your views and your perspectives or your character. Okay. Right. Right. So I want to kind of kind of bring things to kind of a wrap up. Um, All this leads up to the end of the movie, right? Um, We all knew Link went in there with one way out, right? Yeah. Um, in the recent in the recent civil unrest we've seen a lack of de-escalation in almost every policing encounter yeah um unfortunately the only way they found to de-escalate the situation was to take the person's life we realized for the first time and possibly one of the most chilling moments, maybe not chilling moments, but an interesting moment. After that police officer realized the weight of the world that Link carried on himself, he wanted to walk out with Link to help give him a sense of peace. Mm -hmm. And in his last moments, 
the police officer tried to de-escalate to prevent them from shooting Link. And that was the first time we've seen in that movie Mm-hmm. that de-escalation was even an option or was even being brought up, Yeah. right? Because think about it, even when the police chief was trying to de-escalate, so to speak, he was, he was, um, he was antagonizing Link, mm-hmm. right? Look, this is not going to do anything. This is not going to solve anything. Link already came there with a resolve. Yeah. But this man came in to, to, want to de-escalate after experiencing what he had like tell me you know de-escalation is unfortunately a key term that's not used often enough and we talk about the revolution an eye for an eye and you know proper policing um what does de-escalation really mean um and you know what should this what should it look like right because because we say we say the term in order to, and then I'll say from my point of view, right? Okay. The idea here is that we should come to a point in which we can communicate as to what the issue is. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we see time and time again, the color of our skin, the amount of melanin we have in our skin leads to an escalated situation leading into death on many occasions. So what really does de-escalation mean? And is it, is it even possible for us to, to reach that point in which we can get to a place of not feeling fearful of the police? Or maybe I just blew that question too far up. <laughs> no, nah, you didn't, Paige, not at all. Um, and I think I'll, I'll lead with this last question um, pretty much from what I said in the beginning is that to be able to de-escalate these situations. Mm-hmm. We can't keep depending on, you know, the system to be what we need it to be. It's shown so many times that it won't be there to save us. Um, so, I mean, unfortunately, we got to have those conversations with our sons, with our daughters, with our community that when you see a police officer, you put your hands out of the window if they pull you over or you keep your hands on a steering wheel where they can see them. You don't reach too fast. Don't move too fast. Don't get out the car if not asked. We have to try to do our very best in those situations to try to comply. Um, and even in those situations, that's still, I mean, we learned with Philando Castile, right? That that's still not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, we have to put more of the more of the onus now at this current point of how we interact with the police and kind of just hope that they can see us as human beings and not making them feel threatened. We have to be able to really be the ones to de-escalate that. That's what I'm going to teach my son. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about from a legislation point, from a voting point, from who I'm putting in office on a local, national level, um, I want to see them have more of those conversations about what type of programs they're going to implement in those police departments. But I'm not telling my son, my cousin, my my daughter that, hey, the police are going to do the right thing in the situation. I'm going to tell them exactly what to do in order to de-escalate and hope that at some point we get to a point where the training that police officers are getting is focused more on, you know, um, humanizing the person that you're interacting with 
and also not looking to take a life because I think there were some very true, some very real truths in that conversation where the officer says, hey, I'm told if I point, if I pull out my gun, that I better be ready to shoot or not, you know, holster it back. I think that is a real conversation that happens because at the same time, they're afraid in some aspect or whatever of who we are and our color of our skin in those quick movements. Um, but I, not to be too long-winded, I just think that we need to be able to teach ourselves how to de-escalate, you know, and try to be leaders from the back in that situation. But then at the same time, challenge those that we put in, you know, those offices to also come up with remedies and different ways for police officers to get better training to be able to properly handle situations like that. So, yeah. Well said. So when I think about this, I'm gonna put my coaching hat on. And one thing that I, you know, we always talk about in terms of any relationship, you know, like, as y'all can tell, I'm a little hot, you know, so <laughs> I, I end up in a lot of conversations that get intense and I know my nature and I, I start talking loud and it's just cause I'm excited. I'm not yelling, but mm -hmm. I also have to like, so in that space, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of one, what is my commitment? right? Because you can be attached to an outcome or you can be committed to an outcome. And so, and, and I say the difference there is attached to being right and, and, and arguing and getting your point across or be committed to going home. Mm. Be committed to living the next, for the next day. And so in that space, you know, let that guide you. What is your larger commitment? And then this other thing is get inside of somebody else's world. Whether you agree with them or not, and this is on both sides, right? Let this police officer get into my world. I'm just trying to get home. But we're not talking to them. We're talking to us right now. So get into his world. My skin scares him. Mm -hmm. My skin prevents me from being a full human being. Yeah. So guess what I might do? As soon as I roll down the window, I start, <laughs> I crack a joke. You know, I do something. This is how you start to manage the situation by leading from the back. You know, mm. show up, you know, like in that space. And this is where I'm saying acknowledge that we're at war, because if you acknowledge that you're at war, it's not humiliating to go ahead and shuck and jive for a couple seconds because you're committed to getting home. Mm -hmm. You're committed to living the next day. If you acknowledge that you're at war, you're really clear that the gun is already on you. So how can we go ahead and lower that gun? Smile, ask the officer how he's doing, crack a joke, whatever. Get committed to going to living the next day. And that's where, you know, like these are the ways, like, you know, in terms of just managing your own, your own mental, be really clear, like this is a war. So I'm not humiliating myself. I'm not being less than by 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 skinning and grinning for a couple of minutes. Cause I'm committed to being with my family and I'm committed to serving. I'm committed to doing things that are bigger than myself. And I think that sometimes that that helps because we have to be responsible. This isn't our game. Mm. Good point, Yami. Good point. So I I, I want to kind of round off before Ashley closes out. Um, <clears throat> one more thing is, you know, I think I can't remember who brought it up, but I would like us to not get to a point of being desensitized by what's going on in our community. Right. And um, I, I I will reiterate. Um, Ashley asked me to help her, well, not help her, asked me to join her um, in making the conversation of mental health 
sexy, right? <laughs> by, by primarily going through these difficult conversations, right? We could have, you know, we thought of the right people to like, I'm not gonna lie to you. We already know Jackie and Chiz. And she was like, yeah, Yomi, you know what I mean? And with that being said, um, we don't wanna get desensitized. How do we tell our people to either start practicing mindfulness, start seeking therapy, start finding ways to meditate? Cause, cause you know, um, we gotta unplug from the matrix because the visuals is what keeps us mentally locked in. And with social media and information being just so rapidly in front of you, we really need to be able to provide ourselves, our parents and our youth opportunities to disconnect so we can recenter ourselves. So I, I wanna kind of throw that to you guys as, as what do you think would be a good message to send out there from you, but all three to mm -hmm. letting people know that your mental health is important. Your wellness is important. And, you know, making sure that they can seek the help needed because it's not a bad thing. It's not negative within our community and that it's necessary, especially with what's going on. So once again, it can be um, practicing mindfulness. It could be meditating. It could be breathing. It can be seeking therapy. Therapy, not a psychiatrist, two different things, right? Mm -hmm. And not for you guys. I'm just saying for the um, population as a, as a whole, because, you know, we don't want to come off as crazy, but going to therapy is not about being crazy, mm -hmm. right? It's about finding our peace through a conversation with someone that can help us objectively, right um and not my girlfriend who's just hating on my relationship or somebody throwing their two cents because you know you're you because because think about it right we can we console into the people that we feel as though that are closest to us but sometimes that's not enough right because they sometimes may have our best interests at heart but they may not be truthfully honest with us right so um, as far as the wellness aspect, I would love to get you guys' opinion or thoughts on that and, you know, how we should not fear seeking mental health assistance because we all are dealing with it in one shape or form. History, history alone tells us that we are all mentally in a place that we don't need to be. And, you know, people like Yomi, Jacqueline, John, and Ashley are clear evidence that you guys have found ways to unplug from the matrix to see things in a different light. So anybody jump off. I want to start. Um, there were a couple of different things, a couple of different things that were said in this, in this closing question. And I, I want to just hit on a, just a few of them. And one was not desensitizing yourself. And I think that's key. We can remain aware and we can remain, remain woke um, without desensitizing ourselves. And in fact, Yami mentioned this in earlier in the call and we need to be okay with experiencing our full range of emotion. 
because without, and we know studies show without feeling, feeling the fear and feeling vulnerable and feeling what is negatively considered as emotional, if you block all of those things out, you're blocking out joy, you're blocking out happiness, you're blocking out love. And I think we need to be more supportive of each other experiencing those ranges of emotions, like allowing ourselves to have those ranges. And I think oftentimes, because we are not capable, like you mentioned, Paige, sometimes our friends and our loved ones and the people that we surround ourselves with are not capable of allowing you grace in your full set of emotions then I think you need to seek someone who is unbiased, who doesn't look to you as a, a strong person, or I would imagine most of the people that are in this room, not I imagine, I know people that are in this room and people who are close to us and follow us or, or even people that are gonna actually tune into this, this video are people that are leaders, that are already strong, that are already seeking the knowledge, that are already seeking these things. And they're often told when they're exaggerated, when they're hyper hype or when they're hyper angry, you gotta calm down. You gotta, it, it, you gotta relax. It, you need to not have so much anxiety. When in fact, if I'm in the work and I'm in the arena, I'm allowed twice as much of the anxiety as anybody else who's not. And I think we need to give ourselves grace to do that. And if you don't have people around you that are giving you grace to do that, then you need to seek someone else, maybe a professional that, or a coach or whatever it is that can give you that space so you can, so you can live out every emotion that you feel. The reason why we have stress is because we're holding on to emotions that we have to control ourselves to let go. We can't, we're not animals. Animals can feel fear, can feel anger, can feel aggression and express it in their bodies, in their gestures, in their, in their, um, their verbal cues or whatever it is, however they, they speak, they can do that in the moment. We often feel something at our jobs, in our relationships, in, our, in the places that we, we conduct ourselves in social circles that we have to hold on to. We have to have a place where we can release it so the stress cycle can complete. It's not uncommon to be emotional. It's not uncommon to express your emotions. We have to give each other grace for that and we have to seek places that accept that and, um, and encourage that. Mm. I would say, I would say you know, and, and, and I wanna go ahead and soften the language right here. Acknowledge that the world doesn't quite work. Yeah, I've been like, we're at war. You know what I'm <laughs> You've been saying war the whole time. Might as well. <laughs> I think we're fully acknowledged at this point. I'm glad you shifted it. To... <laughs> Let's just say that it's when we acknowledge that things don't quite work, we don't have to expose ourselves to all the to all of the evidence. Yeah. I have never watched the George Floyd video. No. I don't need to watch it. I mm -hmm. know that things don't work. So I keep, I, I protect my energy by not jumping in and, and seeing everything that happens. I already know what's happening. You don't have to prove it to me. And so, I mean, that's one way that I protect my energy. Mm -hmm. And I think the other part of this is, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs>
I think Jackie said it. So, <laughs> but that, that's where we're at. Like, I, I, I do believe that is if when we're acknowledging, oh, the arena, channel that energy. I mean, I was so energized throughout June, throughout, you know, during that time, because I'm like, yes, they know we're at war. Yes. You know, so <laughs> We're fighting now. You know? I thought you wasn't going to say it again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Everybody was acknowledging that it didn't work. And so I was like, we're finally being real about it. Yeah. And, and for me, I was like, I was energized by that because I was able to get, I'm in that arena and I've been pulling and pulling and pulling. And all of a sudden I had a whole bunch of people standing around me, supporting me. Yes. And I was able to support them in the truth. So I think that that is, that's, that's where, you know, that's, that's what's been able to kind of help, help me maintain is to channel that, channel that anger into something positive, channel that anger into work, channel that sadness into comforting a friend, channel, you know, just start putting your energy, you know, don't, don't block it, start to use it, start yeah. harnessing all of that energy. Awesome. Awesome. Shiz, you got the final word here, sir. Oh man. So I want to say first and foremost, um, you know, Ashley and Paige, you guys put together a great panel. I mean, of definitely of, like, of like-minded individuals because I think everything that Jackie has said or Yami has said or I've said, we've all figured out a way to echo, you know, the same sentiments. Um, but what I'll say exactly on this point, um, the one thing I wanted to express is what Yami said is that we don't need to share everything on social media. And we also don't need to watch it. So that's something, honestly, that I won't take credit from it. One of my friends had said, you know, and this was probably like two years ago when world star hip hop was real hot, when everybody oh. was always, you know, posting mm. black people fighting, you know, all these negative things. Yeah, he yeah. Like, and he made a long post and it pretty much said, I'm not posting nothing negative about black folks no more. Why? Right. Because even, even if you don't mean to, unintentionally, you become used to it certain things don't seem as bad as what the other one was. Um, mm -hmm. When in essence, it's all bad and it's all somewhat traumatic. So I try to be more intentional when I see things, um, you know, about when the whole George Floyd situation occurred. I tried to block it as many times as I can as to hide it because it's traumatic. And to be quite honest with you, if we're not honest about that conversation, you do become desensitized to seeing that. Seeing someone seeing people, seeing your own, you know, that look like you, you know, if it's not Sandra Bland, you know, then it is, you know, a George Floyd or a Breonna Taylor or, you know, um, Oscar Grant. So many different names that we <sighs> can go out there. You become desensitized to seeing it where it's just like, oh, damn, another black person died. And that should not be the feeling that we have. You know, yeah. we should be able to grieve but we're not even grieving properly because we're used to it it's like another day at the office um one of the things that i kind of compare what we've been seeing a lot more lately at least on video camera was i think it was back i don't give me exact time frame but the N, the naacp used to hang a flag out that said another man was lynched today every time a person was lynched and when i looked at it um i think they said that flag you know hung for like a year or so because every day like some something was happening to a black person. And it's like, we can't continue to, you know, indulge in that type of, um, in those type of visuals and think that we're just going to be okay. You're not. Um, Uh-oh, 
but um, you're not going to be okay. So you just have to continue to try to block out as many things as you can. Um, focus on your spirituality page. You said it in the beginning. You know, if it's just something as simple as meditating, if it's something as simple as burning mindfulness. sage, mindfulness, you know, trying to find, you know, focus in whatever your faith is, you know, in order to just try to stay sane nowadays. But don't be unapologetic about it. I mean, be unapologetic about it and don't be afraid to seek the help that you need. Um, and then once again, back to something that Jackie has been saying, um, don't judge each other. If someone comes to you to confide, don't look to judge them. Look to be as much of a support system as you can and try to guide them in the right direction. And I'll mm -hmm. leave that. Mm -hmm. that. That was amazing, you all. Thank you very much. That was so awesome. I thank all of y'all for um, for answering my texts and my emails. It's great <laughs> to be a part of this conversation. I think um, the biggest takeaway, of course, we've all got some emotions. We've all, we're all going through this together. And the biggest takeaway, all of you said it in a different way. It's okay to feel those emotions, channel those emotions, and get help if you need help. Yeah. And that's all that's all I created cheese on my cracker for. So I'm glad everybody said it without me telling them telling y'all. I thank y'all so much for um for agreeing to open up and be vulnerable on our first YouTube live stream because I know um recording and posting the videos as opposed to opening ourselves up to the whole worldwide web on YouTube was quite a different um, challenge. So I thank y'all so much. I thank everybody that is uh, watching live or will watch this video in the future. I thank all of y'all. And as we sign off, we want to remind you that it's okay to not have your cheese on your cracker and that we're here to work towards getting there together.